Now, a lot of times, services I watch on Facebook or some other kind of platform like that, when they get to the offering or is that, is that on? Am I good? Okay. They get the offering or something like that, I'll skip through it. Just try to find when the preacher's going to get up. But y'all have such wonderful musicians here, I always listen through it. And uh, I enjoyed that. I appreciate that and appreciate you. It's good to be back at uh, Sharon Heights tonight. And always a nervous time for me to be at a church filling in for the pastor when the pastor's not here. Uh, I don't want to mess anything up, but in the case of Jesse, maybe we can mess up something. Y'all got anything we can vote on tonight? I mean, anything. So I can call him when we leave here and say, look what we did, messed up his trip to the beach. Y'all need to text him and ask him, say, this is critical. Are you at the beach or are you at the coast? That'll tell you a lot about his sanctification. Christians go to the coast. Sinners go to the beach. So every one of y'all need to text him when you leave and say, are you at the beach or are you at the coast? And then you'll know how to pray for him, depending on how he responds. I said all that hoping he's watching live. If we are live, I'm not sure if we are live. Maybe we are, maybe we're not. Maybe he'll see it in the replay. No, it's good to be with you tonight. And I appreciate the privilege to be back at Sharon Heights. I want you to look with me in the book of Philippians, chapter number 4. The book of Philippians in chapter number 4 tonight. I want to look at verses 10 through 20. I'll try not to hold you too long uh, tonight, but I would ask you humbly and sincerely to pray for me for a few minutes that I might be able to say what the Apostle Paul is saying in these verses and what the Holy Spirit has inspired in this text. The book of Philippians chapter number 4, and let me read verses 10 through 20 to you, and then I'll give you what's on my heart. The apostle said, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye also, or ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia... No church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, An odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need 
according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, as we bow in Your divine presence, we're grateful, Lord, for the privilege to pray. Thank You, Father, for the access that we have to the throne of grace, that we as Your people might obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Thank you, our Father, that what has been read in our hearing tonight is indeed and in truth, with all the confidence of our heart, we know that it is the words of the living God. I praise you tonight, Father, that no prophecy of scriptures of any private interpretation, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And that which they spake, Lord, you inspired them to write down, so that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And then, Lord, you told the psalmist in Psalm 12 that the words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times, that you would keep them, that you would preserve your word unto this generation. So, Father, tonight with joy, we declare that what we have heard tonight is the word of the living God. And I pray that you would help us to receive it as such. I pray you would fill me with the spirit of God, that you would help me to preach as a dying man to dying men, women, boys, and girls. Lord, and in this hour, for me not to give any space to my thoughts or to my opinions, but to simply give room and to give preeminence to the Word of God. May it prevail tonight. May it work its work, Lord, that you have sent it to do. Fill the people, Lord, that await my words with the Spirit of God, so that we can all receive the things that are given to us freely of God. And all that you're pleased to do in us and through us and for us, we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, that's preserved for you in your copy of the Word of God, has well been called Paul's personal hymn of joy. It seems to me in reading these four chapters that you can sit and read very easily and very quickly. It seems to me the dominant theme of these four chapters is Paul's rejoicing in the church at Philippi and God's work in them and through them. It's the theme that recurs throughout over and over again through these four chapters. You notice in verse number 10 as I began to read tonight, Paul said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. In this last chapter, as he's closing out his comments to the church at Philippi, his joy has been magnified. He has been giving some of the reasons for which he rejoiced in the church at Philippi and rejoiced in the Lord through the Lord's work in him and the Lord's work in them throughout this letter. In chapter number 1, just to maybe give you some building blocks or a foundation to get up to chapter number 4. In chapter number 1, in verses 12 through 21, the Apostle Paul rejoices in the fact that even in spite of his troubles... And of course, the writing of this letter was uh, from Paul's imprisonment. He was in a Roman prison at this time, chained to a Roman guard. He's no longer free to go about as he would please and preach the gospel as the Lord would open doors. But in spite of the difficulties that he was facing, Paul rejoiced. And he tells us in chapter number 1 that he rejoiced in the fact that it was actually serving to the furtherance of the gospel. 
His troubles did not hinder the gospel, but they actually were used by God to further the gospel. And this caused the Apostle Paul in verse number 18 of chapter number 1, he said, I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice, that the gospel was not hindered by the difficulties that had come in his life, but was actually being furthered. In chapter number 2, Paul said in verse number 2, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. So in this particular portion of Scripture, the Apostle Paul rejoices in the life of Jesus that's being lived out in the church of Philippi. He says in verse number 1 that there is consolation in Christ, there's comfort of love, there's fellowship of the Spirit, there's bowels and mercies or overflowing affections and compassions. And Paul said that his joy would be full if these believers would allow Jesus to channel these blessings through their lives into the corporate life of the church. It would cause him to rejoice. In verses 12 through 18 of chapter number 2, Paul rejoiced. If you look in verses 17 and 18, he says, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do you joy and rejoice with me. In these verses, Paul is talking about sanctification that's being lived out and worked out in the life of the Philippian church. He rejoiced that these believers were being sanctified by the Spirit of God. That they were working out, as he says in verse number 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's not talking about you getting off in a corner somewhere and you and God figuring out how you need to be saved and you working it out and planning it out yourself. No, he goes on to say that it's God that works in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. So he says work out or bring out what God has brought in. And as you do that, Paul said, I'll rejoice and you will rejoice as well. In chapter number 3, Paul rejoices in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You'll notice in verse number 1, he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. And he goes on down through the following verses after chapter number 3 and basically says there's only two different types of people in the world. There are those who are trying to earn their salvation by their own works and by their own merits and by their own strength. And he does not call for those people to rejoice because really somebody that's trying to earn or maintain their own salvation has no reason to rejoice. Do they? The work's not finished. The work is not done. It must be maintained by their own efforts. And God forbid if they slip up and mess up, they'll have nothing wherein to rejoice. But Paul says he's not rejoicing in the fact that he's trying to earn or complete his salvation, but he rejoices in salvation that has been given to him as a free gift. The righteousness of Jesus Christ that's been given to him as a free gift, and he rejoices in that. Well, when you come to verse number 10 of chapter number 4, Paul is rejoicing in the Lord greatly. At the giving of the Lord's people. Oh, Brother Chris, you're not going to preach about giving on a Sunday night. We've already taken up tithes and offerings tonight. Well, that's the text the Lord has laid on my heart. And I hope as we work our way down through these verses that we'll get beyond just putting something monetarily into a basket or sacrificially giving in some kind of offering. Because really the Apostle Paul gets way beyond that. 
He gets way beyond the monetary values of the things that that the church of the living God had given him. And he gets beyond the monetary value of what he had given to himself or that he had given of himself to the Lord. And he really gets down into the heart of what it means for a church to be a giving people. What it means for a church to be a giving people. It's very obvious. There's no way to spiritualize the context of these verses. That he is rejoicing in the fact, verse number 10, that their care of him hath flourished again. Now he says that they were also careful. In other words, they had sought for various times in which to give to the Apostle Paul and to his ministry, but they had not found an opportunity or an occasion to give. But now at the last, as he's coming down to the end of his earthly ministry, he knows that his time is short. In fact, he'll write another letter called Second Timothy in which he'll say the time of his departure is at hand. Now that he's coming down to the end of his ministry and the end of his life, he says, you Philippian believers have found another opportunity to give to me. Epaphroditus had brought to Rome to the Apostle Paul an offering and a gift from the church at Philippi. And in these verses, Paul is writing to praise them for their giving and to thank them for their giving. But in so doing, he shows us really the true heart and the true nature of Christian charity and Christian giving. Now, let me let me look at verses 10 through 13 real quickly and show you the Apostle Paul's attitude toward giving. Let me show you the Apostle Paul's attitude toward giving. As he's sitting here with the gifts that had come by the hand of Epaphroditus from the church at Philippi, he very hastily in verses 11 through 13 says, but let me tell you the truth about your giving. Not that I speak in respect of want. In other words, thank you for this gift, but let me remind you that I did not ask for it. That I did not beg you for it. I didn't send a letter to the church at Philippi and list out all of my needs that I needed and guilted you or made you feel bad that I was going without these things. I thank you for your gift, but let me remind you first of all about what my attitude is toward giving and what our attitudes should be toward giving is that I'm not speaking in respect of want. He said, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. The Apostle Paul said, if you had not given this collection, if you had not taken up these various things, and we know that they just didn't cut him a check. We know that they probably sent clothes and they probably sent some kind of food that could have survived the trip and maybe other articles. We know that when he wrote Second Timothy, you remember what he asked the young preacher for? He said, there's a cloak that I left up there at Troas. Would you bring that to me? Would you bring that small jacket to me? Would you bring the parchments? Would you bring my writing materials? Would you bring me some books that I was studying the Old Testament Scriptures? Would you bring those things to me? So these gifts that the Apostle Paul has received from the church at Philippi were probably of those same things in nature. But he said, I never asked for them and I never expressed my wants or my needs because I have learned. He said, experience has taught me that whatever state that I find myself in, I'm content in that estate. But you're talking about graduate level Christianity, are you not? You're talking about maturity that few of us ever reach. Most of the time, we spend our times focusing on our wants and focusing on our needs. 
and magnifying our wants and magnifying our needs and thinking that if we don't have such and such, that somehow we'll not make it. The Apostle Paul said, I have learned. In other words, that word that he translated there, learned, is he has been initiated into a secret of the Christian life. This word learned was the same word that the ancient Greeks would use in their mysterious religions, these secret religions. Once you get in the inside of these religions, then they would give you some kind of mystical secret, like the Gnostics and like the Docetics and some of the other cults of his day. The Apostle Paul said the secret of the Christian life is really not any secret at all. That whatever state we find ourselves in, we are to be content in that state. He said, I know in verse number 12 how to, to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I am completely content in whatever situation that, that, that I find myself in. That word content means full and satisfied. So the Apostle Paul said, I've learned that even when I have to go without, I know how to be full. And I know that when I have everything that I need, that that doesn't make me any more full than what I already am. Are you getting what I'm saying tonight? The Apostle Paul says, thank you for the gift that you've given me, and I bless you for it, and I thank you for it, but I want to remind you that had you not given me these things that you have provided for me, I would have been okay because I am content. I am content tonight. The, the, the writer of the book of Hebrews, in chapter number 13, I believe it is, tells us to be content with such things as we have. Why can we be content with such things as we have? Now, it's easy to be content when the bank account is full. It's good, it's easy to be content when the health report is good. But the Apostle Paul is saying, I'm not just content when I have everything that I need, when I'm going without, when I have no clothes to wear, when there's stripes upon my back, I'm just as full then as I am now. How could he say that? Be content with such things as you have. The writer of Hebrews said, for he hath said that I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. There's the secret to the Christian life. There is the secret to the Apostle Paul's contentment. That whatever state that providence has brought him to, whether it's a state of he having plenty or whether it's an estate of him having nothing. He said, if I lose all my bread, if I lose all my food, if I lose all my clothing, if I lose all my riches, there's one thing I know that I'll never lose and that is the presence of my blessed Savior. I can be content in whatever state I am because He has promised me that He'll never leave me nor forsake me. That's why the Apostle Paul said in verse number 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Whatever situation Paul said, I've been brought to, there is one that stands by my side that will not forsake me, that will supply the strength that I need to endure the affliction and to endure the trials tonight. Thank you for your gift. I appreciate you sacrificing and giving unto me. But if you don't, if you forsake me, if you leave me, if you don't see after my needs, there's a God in heaven that will never forsake me. He remembered the words of Jesus Christ, where Jesus said, take no thought of your life, 
What you'll eat or what you drink. For your Father in Heaven knows that you have need of these things. He clothes the grass of the field and He feeds the birds every day. And if your Father is able to do these things, how much more is He able to take care of you? So don't worry about these things. Don't live your life in pursuit of these things. Your Father in Heaven will provide those things. But rather spend your life seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I'm telling you, Paul would have been a pitiful prosperity preacher in this day, would he not? He'd have never looked at the church at Philippi and said, I think y'all need to take up an offering so that you can make my bail. I think y'all need to provide for me so that I can wear nice clothes when I go in before Nero and face him in my trial. I think y'all need to provide for me T-bone dinners and a nice place to live. No, Paul said, if you give, then bless you. But if you don't, God is going to take care of me. And if He don't use you to do it, He'll use somebody else. Contentment comes from confidence that Jesus will provide the strength for whatever situation we face. But He does actually talk about the Philippians given in verses 14 through 19. He says, notwithstanding, ye have well done. In other words, I don't want you to feel bad. I don't want to make you feel bad that you've given me this gift. I just want to put it in the right perspective that my God's going to take care of me. And in fact, what's happened is God has used you to be a blessing to me, notwithstanding you have well done that you did communicate with my affliction. That word communicate, as it's in my translation, you might have a different word in your translation, but it basically means that the Philippian church, when they communicated with the Apostle Paul in his affliction, it basically means that they have partnered with him in the gospel. Paul says this gift that you have given me serves as a as a proof and evidence that you have partnered with me in this great work of the gospel. Paul says I want you to see your gift more than just something that you have given to me to help me in my affliction. What you've actually done is come along beside me and partnered with me in the gospel. And in fact, he says the church at Philippi was a model church when it came to giving. He says in verse number 15, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, that is uh, him referring back to his first occasion of preaching the gospel in their area. You can read about that. I believe it's in Acts chapter number 16. The Apostle Paul had come to this region uh, based upon a vision that he had received. He wanted to go into Asia. You remember Acts chapter number 16. He, he desired to preach the gospel into Asia, but the Spirit forbade him to go. The Spirit would not allow him to go into Asia. And, and then in the, in the nighttime, there was a vision of a man of Macedonia that appeared to the Apostle Paul and said, come on over here and help us. So the Apostle Paul followed the leadership of the Lord and came into Macedonia. And when he did, he went down by the riverside. And there was a group of women down there who were wanting to have a prayer meeting down by the riverside. And the Apostle Paul, using that occasion of the prayer meeting, preached the gospel to those women. You remember there was a woman there by the name of Lydia. She was a seller of purple. She was a rich woman. 
And the Bible says there, as the Apostle Paul began to preach the Gospel, that the Lord opened up her heart. And she believed and attended unto the things that the Apostle Paul preached, and not only her, but those of her household. Now, now she was from Thyatira. This is what's amazing to me. The providence of God is, is something that blows my mind, because often, often when it seems like He goes contrary to our plans, it's amazing how when we follow His leadership, He'll weave things into our plans that, that, that we thought we could accomplish on our own, but when we follow Him, we find out that it's His plan, not our plan, that prevails. This woman was from Thyatira. She was from Asia. Paul wanted to go preach the gospel in Asia, but the Spirit wouldn't let him. The Spirit took him over into Macedonia, and the first person to believe the gospel was somebody from, from Asia. Isn't that amazing? That's how God does things. This woman believed the gospel, and many of those other devout women believed the gospel, and God started a church right there in Macedonia. He talks about that in verse number 15. He said, and when I departed from Macedonia, now this wasn't the first church he had visited, and it wasn't the first church that he had planted. He said, when I departed from Macedonia, all the other churches that I had ministered to, and all the other churches that I had poured my life into, all the other churches that, that God had used me to do a gospel work in, look at what he said, none of them communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. In other words, he said, I came to a lot of these towns, and God did a gospel work in and through me, and, and planted a church in their towns, but when I left, they didn't partner with me, but you did. The Apostle Paul often bragged upon their giving to other churches. He tells the church in Thessalonica, in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2 and verse number 9, he talks about this church at Thessalonica and he says, when, you, when I was with you, you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. So the Apostle Paul said, I preached among the church at Thessalonica. He said, and when I did, I not only preached to them, but I worked with my own hands and provided for myself. He said, so that you Thessalonians would not charge me with preaching the gospel for monetary gain. He tells them again in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 7-9, through 9, For yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an ensample unto you to follow us. So he said, I labored among you with my hands, I built tents, I, I, I did manual work amongst the church at Thessalonica so you would not charge me for preaching the gospel for profit or preaching the gospel for gain. He didn't have to worry about that with the church at Philippi. They, they knew the Apostle Paul wasn't in it for money. They knew the Apostle Paul wasn't in it just to pocket some money. In fact, he said in verse number 16, for even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. So down there amongst the Thessalonians, he was preaching and working with his own hands and not taking a salary from them so that they wouldn't turn around and accuse him. But while he was doing it, that church at Philippi was giving to him and taking care of him while he was down at Thessalonia. 
Why is that? Because they were partners with him in the gospel. They were such a model church that he wrote to the church at Corinth. And he said, moreover, brethren, chapter number 8, verses 1 through 5 of 2 Corinthians. He said, moreover, brethren, we do you to wit or to think about the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. The church at Philippi. He said how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. In other words, what the Apostle Paul said to the church at Corinth about the church at Philippi was, he said, I want you to think about the grace of God that works worked among them. He said even though they were going through deep trials... And deep afflictions. And not only were they going through deep trials and deep afflictions, but he said they were deeply impoverished as well. Don't think that the church of Philippi, uh, that they were all wealthy people and they could afford to partner with the Apostle Paul in his gospel work. No, they were deeply impoverished. They couldn't afford to help him. But they also realized that they could not afford not to help him. They didn't wait until their budget got to where it needed to be before they partnered with the Apostle Paul. They didn't wait till the church was in a better place. Man, I, 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 have, I have pastored some churches and preached to some folks and talked with them about partnering with people in the gospel. And I'm going to get to that in just a minute, I promise. And I, I, have, I have talked with some of the men of the church about partnering with people in gospel works. And you've got to be careful and you've got to be discerning about who you partner with. There's a lot of folks out there that are just really wanting a check. You know, that's all they're wanting from a church is just somebody that will give them a little bit of money. But there are worthy ministries out there that our churches and this church ought to partner with. Amen. And I know y'all do that. I'm just stirring up your minds by way of remembrance. There are some that are worthy. And I've talked to some churches and said, hey, man, we need to partner with this guy. We need to partner with this missionary. Oh, preacher, have you not seen the budget? Things are kind of tight right now. When things get back to where we need them to be, then we can do it. But oh, this church, they didn't look around and say, when the sun shines again, when things are a little bit better, we'll invest in the gospel. No, they said that the gospel is a worthy investment. Even if we have to give to the point that we sacrifice ourselves, we'll give to the gospel because it's a worthy cause. He said, for to their power, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power. In other words, the Apostle Paul said, if you'd looked at it naturally speaking, they had about this much to give. If I'd have looked around and said, a good offering from this church would be this much, the Apostle Paul said, they went like this. I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. The original ministry that the church at Philippi gave to was to the relief of the poor saints in Jerusalem. And the Apostle Paul said he told the church at Philippi about this need and then he told them, now listen, we know you're in a deep trial of affliction and we know that you're deeply impoverished, but if you could give just a little bit, Towards the relief of the 
of the suffering saints in Jerusalem, then I know my God would bless you for it. And the Apostle Paul said, I had about that much in mind. And when they came and gave me what they gave me, they gave us way beyond all that. Because they wanted to fellowship with the saints at Jerusalem. They wanted to partner with the saints at Jerusalem. And this they did, not as we had hoped, but first they gave their own selves. Now here's what made the church at Philippi special in their giving. Second Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 5. He said, they gave of their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. They first gave themselves over to God and said, God, take whatever we've got. Take us and use us for the furthering of your gospel and for the furthering of the kingdom of God. That's the heart of a true giving people, is it not? They don't just look at what number they can give. They give themselves to the Lord. And when they give themselves to the Lord, then they look at their stuff and they say, our stuff is much less worthy than He is. Our stuff is not worthy to be held on to. He is the one that's worthy to be invested in. And His work is worthy to be invested in. So you gave. And the Apostle Paul said, You gave not because I desire, verse number 17 of Philippians 4, not because I desire a gift. But this is what I truly desired from you. I desire fruit that may abound to your account. The Apostle Paul said, your gift serves as evidence of the fruit of the Spirit working in the midst of your church. And it abounds to your account. In other words, the Apostle Paul said, this gift that you've given, it's an investment that you've made that's going to pay off somewhere down the road. And where it's going to pay off ultimately down the road is at the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. Right? I desire a, a fruit that may abound to your account. In other words, you have given of yourself to the point that, that it is a sacrifice. And that's why he uses the language that he does in verse number 18. That these things that you sent by the hand of Epaphroditus, he said that they're an odor of a sweet smell. A sacrifice. Acceptable, well-pleasing to God. He uses the language of the Old Testament sacrifices that were made in the temple and in the tabernacle. He uses that phrase, an odor of a sweet smell. This was the incense offering that was offered up at the altar on the inside of the tabernacle that was offered up every day as they would go in to offer up their prayers. Them high priests would burn incense because even their prayers had to be covered because their prayers naturally within themselves stunk in the nostrils of God so they would burn this incense so that even their sin-filled and sinful prayers that, ar- that arose from sinful people would be covered in a nice and pleasant fragrance and would be acceptable in the sight of God. Uh, Paul said this gift that you have given, it is pleasing in the sight of God. It is a wonderful aroma that is well-pleasing in the sight of God. And he said this will abound to fruit on your account. It may be a sacrifice to you now. And you may have given to the point that you hurt. And Spurgeon said that we haven't given in the New Testament since until we give to the point that it hurts. But Paul said if you've given to the point that it hurts, just know this. It's being put on your account and it'll be given back to you one of these days. Perhaps in this life, but if not in this life, 
at the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. We all know tonight that each and every one of us as believers are going to stand at the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. And we're going to give an account of the works that we've done as stewards and ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every one of us. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, where believers will be judged at what he called the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Jesus Christ, and it's their works that's going to be tried. You're not going to the judgment seat, believer, to find out if you're saved or lost. That's settled before you ever get there. And you're not going to give an account of your sins. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there's no sins to give an account of. They've all been taken care of at Calvary. They've all been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ. But what you will give an account of is how well you stewarded the gospel and how well you used the gifts and graces that God bestowed upon you. In other words, you've been given a wonderful gift of the gospel. Well, let me just go ahead and back up a minute. Every one of us, in one sense of the word or the other, are ministers of the gospel. Every one of us. I've never been to seminary and I've never been called to preach and I've never stood before a congregation and and I don't hold an office. I don't get a check from the church. I'm I'm not a minister of the gospel. Oh, yes, you are. If you have believed the gospel, then you've received the gospel. And you're to take what you've received and give it to somebody else. Right? And uh, it won't only, if you don't do it, it won't only make you look bad in the, in the Sunday school class and all these different things. But one of these days you'll stand before Jesus. And Jesus is going to judge your works as a Christian. And throw on top of that all the monetary things He's blessed you with. All the carnal things He's blessed you with. All the financial things that He's blessed you with. All the talents and treasures that He has given to you. Because we know that there's nothing that we have in our life that He's not blessed us with. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And it comes down from the Father of lights. With whom there is no variableness, neither any shadow of turning. And somebody said, Chris, did God give this to me so I could hoard it up? No, He gives it to you so you can turn around and use it for the furtherance of the gospel. And one day you'll stand before Him and give an account of how you did it. And your works will either be like wood, hay, and stubble, and they'll burn up at the judgment seat, 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, or they'll be like gold and silver, and they'll endure the fire of of the judgment of Jesus Christ. Let me illustrate it like this, okay? You could be the wealthiest person in this particular area, Brookside area, Gardendale, wherever we're at. You could be the wealthiest person and come right down here to Sharon Heights and stroke a check and give them, I don't know, a million dollars or something like that. Put it in a plate and look around and expect for somebody to come shouting out of the back when they looked at the check. And expect them to put a plaque with your picture on it outside in the foyer. Now you're too spiritual to let them do it inside the sanctuary. (laughs) But you'd let them do it out there. And for the pastor to come around and say, Oh brother, thank you for that. 
God in heaven knows we couldn't make it without you. And we bless you for it. You could feel pretty good about standing before Jesus and waiting for Him to acknowledge that wonderful gift that you gave to the church. And what you'll find out is that kind of giving is wood, hay, and stubble that'll burn up. Right? Because at the end of the day, Jesus is not looking for your stuff first. He's looking for you first. Huh? As the old saying goes, God, they, they use that illustration of Abraham offering up Isaac. And the old saying is that God doesn't want your Isaacs. He wants you. God wouldn't want Isaac. He was wanting to know that Abraham would hold back nothing from him. So you could be like that. Or you could be like that widow that had two mites. You remember what, that woman that had two mites? And she took and she cast it in. And Jesus said she's given more than anybody else. Even though that kind of gift monetarily will not match up to the, to the million dollars that's given at the judgment seat, that's the type of work that will endure the fire of Jesus' examination of our works. Paul said that's how y'all gave. You gave yourself... And then after you gave yourself to the Lord, you gave your stuff to the ministry of the saints, and now you've given it to me. And because you did it with the right heart, and because you did it with the right motive, Paul says it is a sacrifice, uh, an odor of a sweet smell, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing in the sight of God. And yes, I know, Philippians, that you have given to the point that it hurts, and your giving has produced needs in your own life. But here's my promise to you, that because you have given to this degree, my God shall supply all of your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. This is a thing about priorities, is it not? You've given till it hurts. You've given to the point to where now it's produced a need. But cheer up, Philippians. My God in heaven knows your need. And He'll give out of His abundance of riches. <laughs> In other words, remember that when you've given to the point that it hurts and you've exhausted your hoarded resources... Then just remember that our Father in heaven owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Now he's not talking right here about the judgment seat. I think he's talking about the judgment seat in verse number 17. But when you get to verse number 19, he's talking about their needs. He's talking about not the something that's going to take place out there in the future. But he's talking about right now. He said some of y'all may have given to the point to where you don't know where your next meal's going to come from. He said don't fear because you have invested in the gospel. And you've given God what you're supposed to give to Him. God is going to see to the fact that you'll have what you need. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Ah, you hear people that'll throw that promise around, buddy. That ain't just a promise for anybody. That's a promise for somebody who's got their priorities right. That's giving to the cause of Christ. And again, I want you to get more past just the monetary things. I want you to get past just the check in the plate. You see, God expects for us to give not only of our financial treasures and our monetary treasures, but He expects for us to give of our time. Amen? Is He Lord over your time? Is He Lord over your schedule? Was it? I think it might have been Brother Jesse. 
I hate to give him credit. I think it was him. If somebody else, maybe it wasn't Jesse. Somebody here recently said that one of the things that social media is ultimately going to prove is that we did have time to pray. That's true, ain't it? What a lot of these silly things prove is that we do have time to give of ourselves to the work of God, but come to find out, we'll come to church and sing that He's Lord over all, but in practicality, practicality, He's not Lord over much in our lives because He's not Lord over our schedule. Is He Lord over your treasures? Is He Lord over your finances? Is He Lord over your schedule? Is He Lord over your talents? Whatever talents that you have and like I said, I, I praise you for the musicians here and I bless them for taking of their talents and giving it unto the Lord. Amen? Amen? Amen. What about you? Oh, I can't play on the piano, but you can do something. And it don't matter what you can do. Whatever you can do, do it for the Lord. Amen? I believe everybody that He saves, He saves on purpose and for a purpose. Don't you? I, I, every time I say that, I think about a... And I'm closing. I've done been preaching too long. Y'all are so wonderful to preach to. Uh, I was thinking the other day because I, I saw her, a lady that I used to work with. And uh, at the time, she was my direct supervisor. And we didn't have any children at the time. My wife and me. And... Uh, we, we come down here to Birmingham actually find out what was going on. We knew we had some medical problems. It had, had to be that. So we scheduled four appointments to meet with a doctor down here in Birmingham to figure out what was going on. And so I went into her office and and she had a calendar where we circled dates that we were going to need off. So I went in there and I circled those four dates on the calendar. And she said, why are those so spread out? She said, and random seems like. She said, she said, what's, what, what's the nature of this time off? And I said, I didn't hold anything back. I told her what was going on and why we were going to doctors and why I was needing those kind of days off. And I won't never forget it. She pushed back from her desk and she said, eh, there's just another thing that I need to praise God for. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, y'all are struggling to, to have children. And, and another one of my coworkers, his wife had just had a miscarriage and she said, there he is out there. His wife's had a miscarriage and y'all are struggling to conceive children. She said, both of my children were accidents. She said, not that I would trade them or give them back. She said, we just weren't planning for it. It just happened. She said, we had no trouble conceiving children. She said, there's just another thing that I need to thank, thank God for. Be careful what you say around a preacher because it always goes through his preacher mind and preacher filter and he's wondering how he can use it for an illustration. Ain't that right? I went back and I sat down and I thought about that. And I began to praise God there at my desk. And I said, Lord, thank you that in your family there are no accidents. Everybody that He saves, He saves on purpose and for a purpose. And that purpose is for you to take your redeemed life and give it to Him and to give it to the work of the ministry. And to give it to the furtherance of the gospel. Do something. Amen? Amen? Clean the carpet. Go on visitation. Pick up the flowers. Pick up the grounds around the church. Encourage the preacher. Amen? 
Send him a text. Let him know that, and especially watch him Sundays when, when he walks out of the pulpit with his head drooping down when he feels like he didn't hit a home run. Pick up the phone and say, Preacher, that's the best preaching I've ever heard in my life. And, and take him out to dinner and put something in his pocket. So I said he gets a salary. Give him something extra so that he knows that you're invested with him, that you're partnering with him, that you're coming along beside him and saying, we want to go with you in the furtherance of the gospel. And yes, it may create needs in your life, but our God in heaven will see to the fact that you have what you need. Amen? All of this causes Paul in verse number 20 to break forth into doxology, to praise. How does he close out this, this talking about giving? And this talking about the gift that he'd received. I'll tell you what he does. He takes his eyes off the Philippians and turns them toward God. And says, now unto God, our Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. This kind of giving. This kind of giving. Again, more than just monetary. More than just financial. This kind of giving of yourself. And partnering with God's gospel. It will produce high praise in your life. This is what the Bible calls cheerfully given. Give it cheerfully. Right? Don't do it begrudgingly, but do it cheerfully. And as you do it cheerfully, there will be praise that will be aroused in your soul. And you will bless the name of the living God for allowing you to be a part of His great work. See, the Philippians, even though they were not with Paul, they wanted to be a part of what Paul was doing. Amen? They wanted to be partners with him in the gospel. So they gave. They gave. My question to you tonight is, are you giving of yourself? Your tithing may be great. That may be wonderful. My question to you is, are you giving yourself to the work and the furtherance of the gospel? Let's pray. Our Father... We thank You for these moments that we've had together in Your Word tonight. Would You raise up a people, Lord, that are invested of themselves in the Gospel. That are giving of themselves to the furtherance and the work of God's Kingdom. You're going to take care of Your Gospel preachers and Your Gospel missionaries and Your Gospel workers. You're going to see after them, as the Apostle Paul said. They're going to be content. Because you're going to be with them no matter what. But may you stir it in our hearts tonight. In the heart of this church. Lord, I know this is a giving church. Lord, you know that even on the way down here, I debated about preaching another sermon. Because I know the level that this church partners with those that are working in the gospel. And the gospel work that they do themselves. But Lord, help us to to go further. Help this not to just be a money thing, but to be a thing of ourselves. To give of ourselves in the work of the gospel. Work effectually among us and powerfully by the power of your Spirit. And all that you're pleased to do in us and through us and for us. And what you'll let us be a part of. Oh, Lord, there were people that were saved in Thessalonica that the Philippians never met. They never met them. They never crossed paths with them. But they gave to the Apostle Paul while he was at Thessalonica. 
And those people that were saved were saved in part because the Philippian believers partnered with Paul. And Lord, what a scene it must have been when they met in heaven. Lord, I know that's got to be a part of the judgment seat that we will get to see the fruit of our labor. We may never see it here. But Lord, in Your great kingdom, we'll get to see it. I believe that. Help us to have a vision of that. In Jesus' name, Amen.